This is a continuation of People's Power, No Dictator by Walter Rodney. Four, expose the Burnham dictatorship. We have said before that the Burnham dictatorship would prefer to hide under the disguise of being a democracy. Elections have not been abolished. Instead, they've been rigged in such a way as to become a complete mockery of the most fundamental rights, the right to self-determination and free choice of one's government. The rigged elections of 1968 and 1973, and the amazing referendum fraud of July 1978, all indicate that Guyanese people have not chosen the PNC clique. The regime holds power by armed force. Guyanese are finding from their own experience that the dictatorship hates to be reminded that it is a dictatorship. To expose the dictatorship, the first step is to denounce the government as illegal and illegitimate. Dictators have a way of building statues in their own image. When a dictator is overthrown, the population seizes the chance to destroy or remove the various things which were meant to glorify him. But it is equally important that some of the symbols of the dictator's power should be destroyed before his fall. Psychologically, the domination of the dictator has to be rejected. The population must learn to despise the falsehoods which surround the man. They must refuse to accept that he has any halo of greatness around him. They must remove any confusion in their own minds and see the dictator clearly for what he is, a villain and a monster, the principal enemy of the people. Certain verbal attacks have been made on the dictator. Day Clean, the organ of the Working People's Alliance, first called him Big Jim so that people should not forget Jim Jones and the 914 dead of Jonestown. Burnham has blood on his hands from that horrible atrocity. We call him the Crime Minister to let the people remember the corruption, electoral frauds, and the recent murder of Father Dark. In Latin America, the dictators are known as guerrillas, as distinct from the freedom fighters who are guerrillas. We want it known that Guyana too has its guerrilla and that he is appropriately named King Kong. The strength of which Burnham boasts is the strength of the ape. And besides, he is a make-believe character, straight from Hollywood. Our language must express not only ridicule, but anger and disgust. The dictatorship has reduced us all to such a level that the situation can be described only in terms befitting filth, pollution, and excrement. Even our deep-rooted sense of modesty in Guyana cannot stand in the way of rough words to describe the nation's shame. That is why the WPA repeats the legend of King Midas, who was said to have been able to touch anything and turn it into gold. That was called the Midas Touch. Now Guyana has seen the Burnham Touch. Anything he touches turns to shit. Many beautiful ideas have suffered from the Burnham Touch. Socialism, cooperatives, free education, nationalization, solidarity with Afro-Americans, support for freedom fighters. Burnham tries to intervene personally in everything, from road building to the administration of sports. He has touched a great deal in Guyana. Many formerly decent Guyanese are walking around doing dirty things or compromising with the evil of dictatorship. 
they have been touched. Of course, exposure of the dictatorship requires far more than mere words. The entire population must be committed to action. Each action in the popular interest is bound to reveal the dictatorship in its true colors. Mass public meetings sponsored by the WPA have recently been used by Guyanese to show their opposition to the PNC clique. The apparatus of the police state was brought down on the heads of peaceful citizens attending these meetings. From time to time, the police denied permission for the use of loudspeaking equipment in defiance of the constitution. Peaceful pickets and gatherings without loudspeakers have been broken up with tear gas and baton charges. In this way, the dictatorship feels that it is gaining a physical victory, but the people are moving forward in their understanding. No one can now pretend that our rulers protect the freedom of assembly. As criticism of the regime grew in all quarters, the dictatorship came into the open on the question of press freedom. They tightened the noose around the PPP's mirror newspaper, strangling it through denial of newsprint. The government has intensified its search for duplicating machines and typewriters. Duplicating equipment was seized from a political group, the WPVP, and also from a trade union, NAACIE. No one can now pretend that our rulers believe in freedom of the press. Determined working-class efforts have once again exposed the Burnham dictatorship on the question of the right to strike. When the sugar workers went on strike for a memorable 135 days in 1977-1978, the government called it a political strike. Now every strike is called a political one, which means that the strike undermines the power of the dictatorship. Workers have to learn not to fear when their strike action is called political. If the power of the people undermines the power of the dictator, then let our strikes be political. The real issue is not whether a strike is called industrial or political, it is whether that strike is in the interests of the workers concerned and of the working people as a whole. The recent bauxite strike is a high point in the history of the Guyanese working class. For six weeks, bauxite workers stood firm to force management to implement their collective labor agreement. The Guyanese dictatorship has consistently attacked the living standards of the working class. It is not surprising that the bauxite strike attracted the support of workers everywhere in Guyana. Positive leadership from the four progressive trade unions gave bauxite workers nationwide backing, especially within the sugar industry. Sugar workers and clerks who came out in solidarity also seized the opportunity to advance their own just demands, such as the demand that the government respect a $14 a day minimum wage. The entire nation got a feel of what united working class action could mean. Following the strike, the dictatorship has unleashed victimization. This is further evidence of their determination to eliminate the right to strike and the right to work. Yet, the dismissal of the workers itself is the next major point around which workers will rally. As is the fashion with apes, King Kong beats his chest and threatened to slaughter indiscriminately. But United Labor Actions can always call his bluff. United Strike Action teaches us how the dictator can be exposed and how he can be deposed. The regime panicked at the thought of anything looking like a general strike. Burnham knows that no amount of violence, or military force, can replace the power of workers. He has tried cutting cane with the militia, the national service, and so on. And this was a dismal failure. He did not even waste time trying to introduce scabs into the bauxite industry, because he knows that there is no way that would have been accepted. 
the dictator requires the population to produce so as to sustain himself and the clique of parasites who dominate Guyana. That is why mass withdrawal of labor is the ultimate weapon representing the power of the people. The Burnham dictatorship needs the cooperation of workers to buy guns to keep down the very workers. This is the fantastic contradiction which points the way towards a policy of non-cooperation and civil disobedience. Non-cooperation means simply that citizens will refuse to cooperate in their own oppression and in the oppression of others. It may be hidden or open, individual or collective. The instances are increasing of individual Guyanese resisting or ignoring the notorious instructions given by the dictator. Each publicized example of personal resistance helps lift the spirits of the entire population. Other individuals are going about their personal rebellion in a quiet manner. However, non-cooperation will be most effective when it is based on collective or group action. In India, Mahatma Gandhi organized millions in his campaign of non-cooperation and civil disobedience against the British colonialists. One of Gandhi's campaigns brought about the boycott of cloth imported from Britain. In the USA, the modern civil rights struggle started with the famous bus boycott in Montgomery, Alabama in 1954. Thousands of black people refused to use the bus until the bus company ended racial discrimination. Here in Guyana, several persons and organizations have called for a boycott of the lying and vicious publication called The Chronicle which uses the people's money to abuse the people. Such a boycott would represent an example of non-cooperation. It has to be agreed on and implemented as a collective action. Civil disobedience is also a matter which is best approached by large numbers acting at the same time. It means a readiness to disobey the government, otherwise known as the civil power. In Guyana, the civil power is itself disobeying the laws and the constitution. For example, in relation to the freedom of assembly, the conduct of local and national elections, the right to picket or to march, and the rights which citizens have when arrested. The WPA has made a public commitment to challenge the illegal and arbitrary behavior of government forces such as the police. In relation to public meetings, this challenge has thoroughly exposed the nature of the Burnham dictatorship, and it has done so because masses of people have got the message and turned out in numbers. The regime had two choices. One was to allow us to exercise our democratic rights and let the majority show its true feelings of opposition to the dictatorship. The other choice was to drive the people off the streets by force, but the second choice backfired because it showed people, both at home and abroad, how much Guyana had become a police state. Civil disobedience goes beyond the point where the civil power breaks its own laws. One can suggest disobedience of the law because of the fundamental fact that the government is illegal. Citizens have a right to be guided not by the unjust laws or an unjust state, but by what Gandhi called the higher law of justice. There are some laws such as traffic regulations which are relatively free of political interference, but citizens will decide when laws offer safety and which ones can be broken as a part of a rebellion against the dictatorship. Civil disobedience has always been met by threats, by beatings, by imprisonment, and ultimately by loss of life. This process has already begun in Guyana. The lessons from other countries show that a determined people cannot be turned back. Certainly, blows and imprisonment are bringing out the steel in the Guyanese people, 
and the dictatorship will be taught whose steel is sharper. The murder of Father Dark failed to intimidate. Instead, more decent men and women rallied to protest the appalling state of the nation in Guyana. Few individuals want to willingly invite their own death, yet many will be found who are prepared to fight fearlessly for their rights even if their lives are threatened. The human spirit has a remarkable capacity to rise above oppression, and only the fools who now misrule Guyana can imagine that our population alone lacks such capacity. During the famous 1763 slave rebellion in Berbice, there were numerous examples of the undying courage of our foreparents. The Dutch slave masters captured Akabre, one of the leaders of the rebellion, and he simply laughed scornfully when they tormented him. Soon after, Akabre and eight other freedom fighters were put to death by roasting over a slow fire. Even their enemies were impressed by the fact that Akabre's men were firm to the end and did not flinch. The violence of the dictatorial state is always lurking, ready to be unleashed when the people make their challenge. There will be more jobs lost, more bones broken, and more lives sacrificed. Failure to see this would be to underestimate the difficulties. Precisely because of the violence, the population will develop its own tactics of self-defense. Attacks by PNC thugs and by thugs in uniforms, calling themselves police, have so far gone down without resistance. That phase is at an end. Self-defense is an inalienable human right, and the tactics of confronting the regime will change to ensure that persons defend their right to life and limb. Neither the WPA nor any other organization needs to produce a master plan for national struggle against the dictator. We can rely on the initiative and good judgment of our people, provided there is a spirit of resistance. Martin Carter's poems of resistance were written against colonial domination. They are still relevant today. It is no accident that he was among the first to call for renewed resistance, this time against the Burnham dictatorship. Artists have a special responsibility at this time of crisis, the task of defending creativity against the onslaughts of a regime which behaves like the Philistines of old, trampling everything of human value. The people of Latin America have found that pens and guitars and paintbrushes all become effective weapons against the guerrillas. Language, song, and drum are also weapons within the Guyanese situation. Cultivate the spirit of resistance. Cultivate the Akabre spirit. King Kong must go. 5. Raise up a clear alternative. National unity and people's power. In the midst of national crisis, Guyanese have made some gain. The most dramatic achievement has been the consolidation of racial unity. Africans and Indians are standing side by side in a way that has not been true since 1953. Indeed, we now have a degree of racial unity greater than at any previous time in our history. The WPA has consistently argued that political unity across racial lines was most desirable and possible. The truth of that position is now obvious. The firmest unity is unity in struggle. Guyanese are no longer divided in their struggle for bread and justice. Indian sugar workers and African bauxite workers are making common cause. African lawyers and Indian lawyers both see the need for unity to restore the rule of law. Our racial minorities are joining the new national movement without fear of domination. The dictatorship is spreading the wild propaganda to hold back the movement of interracial solidarity. 
the PNC clique is putting out that the WPA is an Afro-Guyanese group splitting black people so that Indians will be the next rulers. There is no need to answer such backwardness, except to ask that you look around and see with the eyes of the people. What is more vicious is that the regime is using or creating incidents of racial violence on the East Coast Demerara. When the PNC sends thugs into Indian communities, we are not told anything about this. When an African is killed by Indians, this is meat for the racists on Action Line and is taken up at length on the radio by no less a criminal than the rabbi. The PNC clique are even bold enough to talk about 1962 when they were in the forefront of racial violence. But we will hear with the ears of the people. Before the dictatorship can be overthrown, we must solve the difficult problem of creating national unity in the face of class differences. So long as there are classes, there must be some degree of class conflict. Nevertheless, it is necessary to build a broad unity across existing class lines, and there are several factors which favor such a development in Guyana today. The highest expression of modern capitalism is found in the multinational companies. The power of the modern capitalist is tremendous because it is on such a scale that it dominates entire nations and sustains imperialist exploitations. Guyana is fortunate that multinational companies such as Booker's and Alcan no longer control our economy. Nationalization was called for by all sectors of progressive opinion in Guyana. Nationalization of sugar and bauxite must be recognized as positive, although the nationalized industries have suffered from the Burnham touch. The private capital which exists in Guyana can play a nationalist and patriotic role because it does not automatically represent imperialist exploitation. Guyanese manufacturers and businessmen in general can participate in a movement of national unity because there is a great need for an expansion of production and for an increase in productivity. Above all, there is great need for an extension of the productive forces, which means more technology, more investment, and a larger body of workers who are guaranteed employment and advancement. Through debate, discussion, and mutual respect for agreements, the national movement can offer conditions mutually acceptable to the group of local businessmen and to the broad masses of the workers. In Guyana and the West Indies, an important social role is played by the middle class. The term middle class or petty bourgeoisie is generally used to refer to professionals, small businessmen, big farmers, and civil servants from the middle ranks and above. The Guyanese middle class is in deep crisis. The decline in Guyana's living standards has hit the middle class very hard because they least expected it and are unaccustomed to it. Normally, the middle class thinks in terms of security and comfort. There is very little of these things left. It's a headache to run a car, it's a burden to pay a mortgage, and it is impossible to acquire articles of consumption because of scarcity and extravagant cost. So the middle class has come to feel some of the material deprivations which many workers had long known about, and the learning process has been painful. Besides, the middle class has lost its sense of professional pride. There is little or no job satisfaction to be gained at any level in government service, and even outside of the government. Many have been beaten down into silence, but there are individuals who travel and who know the world. They therefore know that internationally, the Guyanese government is totally discredited, and that Guyanese have to bear the shame heaped on them by the dictator. 
Many members of the middle class are therefore entering the political movement. Many are willing to be mobilized, others will commit resources, and a few are prepared to take serious risks as part of the movement. The middle class understands that it can never monopolize a Guyanese government. From 1953, that has never been possible. Thinking members of the middle class are therefore in agreement that the solution is a government of national unity. This would be a government which they cannot dominate, but one in which their interests will be adequately represented, and in which their views will be given honest and careful consideration. The WPA stands within the ranks of workers and peasants. There is no hesitation in so doing. There are no ifs and buts about our commitments to building a society in which working people enjoy the fruits of their own labor. A united working class is the base on which national unity is to be built. It is the working class, including housewives and the unemployed, who suffer most under the corrupt dictatorship. It is the working class which has sacrificed most in the struggle for bread and justice. A working class interpretation must win over the progressive element of other classes and strata. It will have to be made clear that the Burnham dictatorship came forth from a particular economic system, a system based in inequality and exploitation. It will also have to be made clear that working people require fundamental changes in the political structure to permanently guarantee rights which they temporarily won in the face of colonialism. The Guyanese working people, who are in the immense majority, will expect to have their labor power reflected in the power of the state. The WPA has called for a government of national reconstruction and national unity. Inevitably, the working people must play a leading role in such a government. Yet, it is proof of the maturity of our workers that they fully understand the need for patriotic compromise with other classes and social strata. Workers know, from the most bitter of experiences, how hopeless the economic situation has become. Small farmers know, from heartbreaking experience, that it is impossible to cultivate and survive. So the vast majority of our people will surely rally around a program which restores the economy through the participation of all. They will rally around a program which restores democratic rights. One can sum up on the national question by saying that all classes in Guyana have an objective interest in unity. That is to say, each class has suffered in one way or another from arbitrary rule, insecurity, and lack of the opportunity to do an honest job. Collectively, we are faced with the threat of disintegration and the loss of commitment to Guyana as a nation-state. This is tragically seen through the large numbers lining up at the embassies and passport offices, and in the large numbers who have but one ambition in life, to leave Guyana. This is the time of calling on our resolves of patriotism. The road to recovery of national purpose lies through the restoration of democracy. All parties and all interest groups must somehow be represented and be seen to be represented in a government of national reconstruction and national unity. Burnham must go. Yes, but that is only one side of the coin. There must be an alternative to replace the dictator. Let that alternative be a government of national unity. A clear alternative is a powerful political force. It gives our people something to mobilize around. It gives the outside world something to think about as the force of the future in dealing with Guyana. In the last days of the Burnham dictatorship, 
a government of national unity must be declared. It will unite races and classes. It will attract civilians and uniformed personnel. It will itself contribute to speeding up the end of the reign of King Kong. People's power, no dictator, all power to the people. Anything I say here is just going to detract from the spirit of that last paragraph. I'm really enjoying these glimpses into times and places that feel impossibly far away right now. The balance of power is shifting, maybe not so much in the US, and thankfully not towards the US, but industries are being nationalized throughout Latin America and of course in Asia. And even though there's so much work to be done, people are actually fucking doing it. Living here in the Imperial Corps is just getting weirder and weirder. As the contradictions become more pronounced and social progress concurrently moves forward and backward. Like tectonic plates grinding against one another. And eventually that energy gets released as earthquakes, volcanoes, landslides, and tsunamis and I think that even a more internationally cooperative capitalism marked by actual mutual aid and sovereignty would be able to withstand the damage better than in prior years. And as bleak as it would be for us here in the Imperial Corps, it would be a wonderful thing for the rest of the planet. And that's really exciting. Remember, you can get to the Menagerie before the rest of the world for the low, low price of $1 per month at patreon.com slash epicincredulity. And that more important, at least in my opinion, would be rating and reviewing this podcast on whatever platform you're using. Share it around, whatever. More class consciousness, the better. And for now... Comrade, enjoy your epoch. epoch.